Now, Season 3, Episode 19, Fungus is Among Us. So my first year in practice, I actually remember things always come in three. And I remember two surgeries, and I'm trying to remember what the third one was. It's been a while. It was 2014, 2015. But that weekend, I was on call, and my chief resident at the time was Victor. And Victor is actually in academics, I believe, at the University of Arkansas. And the one really good thing about VCU is when neurosurgery went from six to seven years, um, I, and, you know, I interviewed at programs that were six years and seven years, and I actually was planning on doing a pediatric fellowship, but I ranked more of the six-year programs initially because I was like, a year is a big time for women. I mean, our eggs are getting older, and like mine currently, I'm about to be 43 in January. Wait, no, 42, sorry. I digress. Um, there was actually a year in training. I couldn't remember what, how old I was because I worked so much. I couldn't remember if I had my birthday or not. And I had to actually like get out the like calculator to see how old I was. I think it was like 31, 32. So no, I'm turning 42 in January. So I pretty much have given up on having any more kids. And even though my mom said I could get a sperm donor, I really ironically was like, I'm not raising, I mean, because me being a single mom, um, Talia has me spread thin. And so if I'm going to be a single mom with a sperm donor, that's really not happening. Um, but I digress just stuff that I guess professional women have to think about. Um, but that being said, my eggs were, you know, aging and I know with women and if I was going to do a fellowship anyway I would rather have neurosurgery be seven years total than eight years total but that being said at VCU after I matched they did this transition to practice and actually University of Florida did it I think Harvard did it there were some other programs, but basically your seventh year, which is your first year when you're out, I was actually faculty. I graduated and and it actually burned VCU. There was um, my intern year when they did it, they graduated one of the residents and then they were like, hasta luego, you know, like they, because they had had their certificate, they didn't have to stay. And so they left. So, but what I, um, they they paid a decent salary. They actually paid me more than I got paid when I initially came to Abilene. Um, they had my own practice. I had my own OR block, both at the VA and at VCU. And um, I took call. I took call once a month. And it was hard call. But it enabled me in my first year of practice to do cases 
in an environment I was comfortable. And then, so when I transitioned out of that environment, I had already gotten the confidence and knew how the system worked, where the transition in another place was not as bad. And so I really um, appreciate that seventh year that I ended up getting. That being said, I was on one of my weekend calls. Excuse me. It's like six o'clock in the morning here, so I have my coffee and I'm drinking. Um, happy Labor Day. And um, I was actually operating on another case, and uh, another tumor-like case. And I I should tell you all about that case. Maybe I'll tell about the, the next time I record. So I got a consult, and... I remember we were operating and I was, I scrubbed out while Victor was closing. And I said, I, the junior resident had come in while we were operating and I had told him it was a lady and she had had liver disease, autoimmune liver disease. So her body had attacked her liver. And so she was immune compromised because she was on all these medications to prevent that attacking the liver. And she had come into the hospital altered. And they got a CT scan and it was negative, but they got an MRI, making sure she didn't have a stroke and found that she had this abscess. And it was right, you know, right behind her forehead. And the difficulty with liver disease is that her liver, the liver, um, when people have liver disease, they usually sequester what we call platelets and platelets help with blood clotting. The other thing is the liver produces a lot of factors that help with blood clotting. And I remember her factors were off. And so I needed to tank her up right before surgery. And so I told the junior resident to give her a transfusion and asked if she had been NPO. And it was Saturday morning and she hadn't eaten breakfast by that time. And so I said, let's get her done when we're done with this case. And an academic institution with it being like an abscess and it was Saturday and I wanted to try to get a diagnosis ASAP as soon as possible. And I had that feeling, I had this feeling like you need to do it as soon as you can. And so because of that, we did her the next case and she was ready. And because of liver disease, I wanted to go to the path the, the, the path that was the least problematic. And I don't know if I might've done this one other time, but I went right through the eyebrow. So of course, if you make the incision a certain way, it heals without any issues. And I even had talked to the patient and her spouse and I said, I know this is going to leave a scar, but I think with your liver disease, a different trajectory, um, I'm concerned about infection and it will, it it will create a route through the brain more. I, I have easy access. If I go through the eyebrow, make a small, possibly, you know, centimeter incision, and, you know, she probably will look like, she. I mean, it's not like a Jason Momoa incision, like scar on the eyebrow. It's like surgical. And I just remember because I had was scrubbing in and Victor, I was like, 
Victor, you put such a big incision on the eyebrow, but it ended up coming together, you know, quite nicely. Um, but we were able to go through the eyebrow and it was like right, the abscess was directly behind it. So uh, I went in and I was thinking more bacteria. But I think one thing, and, I, and usually my staff, you know, I elaborate a lot of this. I have a lot of gut feelings and it's not like psychic. I always say it's God, but I, I, I a lot of my gut feelings in medicine are like 99% correct. Like, and if I'm not too close to the situation, I just have like this gut feeling to do this and this. And it's, and I don't know if it's just because I studied so much and have a great medical knowledge and just can apply it very well. Um, you know, I grew up watching Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, but I don't think it's like from, and watching all the documentaries, I don't think it's like a medical knowledge. I think it's knowing what to do in the situation, knowing how fast and timely to do it and what to look into. And I catch a lot of things that a lot of people don't catch. It's almost like, like you probably have listened to like that mad cow disease, like some things that are really, really rare that... I just get this gut feeling and usually I'm like 100%, not 100%, 99% accurate with these gut feelings. And I always say the gut's God, but I just have this gut feeling. And so sometimes with my staff, I'm like, I just have this gut feeling and they know and it's like accurate. So I had this gut feeling with her that it wasn't just bacterial that we needed to send fung like fungal and TB, like all things, because when people are immune compromised, you can have, uh, anything can happen. So I put in the biopsy and I aspirated it, sent it all, um, for, um, gram stain and everything and sent it for the fungal, the TB, the bacteria. And I just remember something came back and I wish I don't have the records where I can review, but it was like something came back where within 24 hours we knew to start fungal medicine, which he hadn't been on. And aspergillus sometimes with that autoimmune, it can go from the sinus cavities into the brain and people that are immune compromised. And I think that's what happened. But because number one, we had evaluated her, treated her, got her in. You know, she had been admitted maybe Friday. We were consulted Saturday. I got her treated by Saturday afternoon. Um, or, you know, at least a, a diagnostic uh, biopsy collapsed the abscess. And it, I remember following up, the infection totally had resolved. And you know, antifungal medicines are really hard to tolerate, especially the ones that penetrate the brain. But even going through the eyebrow, and it, it, it actually healed pretty nicely. I mean, I, I was aware of it because I, well, Victor made the incision, but um, I was aware of it because, I mean, I did the surgery, but if you just looked at her, you wouldn't, it wasn't obvious. Um but I remember giving a presentation and looking up the aspergillus and the mortality rate. And the mortality rate when it goes to the brain, I mean, 
There was a study in like in the 90s that showed it was like 99% mortality. And then you can get like 80s to 99, but high, high, high mortality when patients end up having this in the brain. But my patient survived and I think it's the gut or the God, you know, telling me what to do, tell me to do it then. And also, usually they always ask what to send, but, and it wasn't that it looked fungus or fungal, like when I aspirated it, but I just had this gut feeling that it wasn't bacteria. I needed to send either TB or we call that like AFB, um, which honestly I send that for all those, but I've never actually had a patient with it but I'm I don't know if you all remember from that story of me being pimped by the University of Virginia um, neurosurgeons they had TB in the spinal cord so I always like think it can happen um, but I just haven't seen it and fungal I'm trying to think if I've ever had a fungal infection isolated since I don't think I have. I don't think I've had a patient before or since with a fungal infection. Now I'll send, oh, I've had, I did have a patient um, that had it in their chest, which you can get that from chest because of aspirating and spores, but I've never had it in the brain. So, fungus is among us and sorry for the rambling it's like six o'clock labor day weekend i woke up but i don't have to go in i'm going to feed the poultry and spend time with scarlet finish up on clinic notes and i'm also slowly decorating my yard for halloween i got out all the inflatables i wasn't able to last year but i'm gonna, I'm gonna i told my parents i'm gonna do like one every other day that's my goal until I get them all out. So, and then I like looked at all my Christmas decorations and like I have so many Christmas decorations. As soon as Halloween's over, I'm gonna have to start decorating. All right, thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed.